Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of College Basketball Weekly here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. From still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ over there in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, the Dalton Connect, super fan himself, the the bald knower, the best college basketball writer going today, statswell.substack.com. Subscribe today. If you are not already, Will Warren. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm doing really well. I will say I just got out of jail this morning. Um, I rushed to court and was immediately prosecuted by 17 police officers at once um, as Governor Jay Billis looked on. So uh, it was an intriguing time to be out in public, I'll be honest. Um, and I'm, you know, 50,000 in the hole. But here we are. Love Jay. But that was a strong take. Uh, that was a it was one of those where people got really I, I feel bad for him because like some he was a main character on Twitter for a day. You can't you ever never want to be the main character. character. Never. Especially it's, with college basketball Twitter, which is weirdly vengeful. Yeah. And everyone's looking for a reason as a Duke guy looking for a reason to hate on Jay. But I get ultimately what he's saying. And former players, I think there's just a lot of former players who are going to have that who share that same sentiment of like, 
um, yeah, you want to get out of there and make sure. You, but you also are like, I don't want to get hit for the dumbest reason possible and affect yeah. my livelihood and everything else. So I understood where he was coming from. It's a little bit strong wording, but I also understand the whole thing where it's like, you're not really going to fix this unless you do something actually very drastic. Like you're not going to stop court storming and all this unless you did something really, really drastic to like a mega fine, a forfeit of the game. Like that's really the only way you're going to be able to stop this is something actually very, very harsh. My only contribution to the whole discourse is that I do think the countdown clock idea is not so bad Hmm. where they give the, where they give the team 30 seconds to get off the court or whatever, yeah. like wave, shake hands, do whatever you got to do, but get to the tunnel within 30 seconds. I, don't hate I think that. that's, I think that's reasonable. Obviously that's going to require a lot of security training, but I, I mean, like what else are they there for? What else are they there for? Will Warren. Um, what we're here for though, ultimately it's not it's, the most annoying discourse in America. It's actually something good. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of annoying discourse and Hey, I'll take it um, <laughs> right now, sir. Um, something that is interesting discourse for the good folks over there uh, across the, uh, across the country is what's going on at UCLA. Um, USC, obviously not having a good year, but UCLA who have been really, really strong, really good, putting a lot of NBA players in there. Mick Cronin, uh, to this point, uh, before the year, had nothing but success uh, in Southern California. Um, and yet this year has been rough uh, for the Bruins. They lost a lot. But by and large, I mean, what do you make of what's happened to UCLA this year? And do you buy that, given the context of where UCLA athletics is, you saw your sitting head coach jump uh, to a power two uh, offensive coordinator job in your same conference? Um with all that being said, should Mick Cronin be feeling really any type of heat from the administration and or the fan base? Or do you think uh, it, it should be like, hey, he's actually been really good and be careful what you wish for uh, pushing out somebody like Mick Cronin? Uh, I would not push him out. I think, you know, the three seasons before this were all, I, I understand like the 2021-22 season was a little underwhelming given where they entered in the AP, but by and large, the last three seasons have been like, qualified successes no mm. real questions asked i mean final four sweet 16 sweet 16 great run for any school in america even a blue blood so uh this year has been disappointing and i think it's happened because he we talk about the phrase too much dip on your chip sometimes mm. and uh he had a little too much dip on the chip with this roster construction where they like pretty much did not get anybody of note in the portal and went all the way in on freshmen and sophomores but instead of the kentucky angle where it's all like you know future lottery picks or future first rounders and whatnot it was largely international guys who kind of came over here with without like you know it's a good way to get a pipeline going but it's you're not really sure what you're getting for your team until they're on your campus and so like you know Ade Amara has not had a very good year 88 offensive rating uh Burke I'm not going to try to it's Burke B I'm not going to go for the last name here also mm-hmm. really underwhelming you're the only freshman who's really started out is Sebastian Mack and he's just been fine uh, as their uh, two guard, but it, it's just a very young team. Considering most of these guys are likely to come back, if Mick comes back, we're going to see how coaching carousel season goes. Um, if if most of those guys come back, I feel like you can talk yourself into next year fairly easily, because for all the warts and flaws like this team has had prior to the last week, they had played really well in the Pac-12. Like they're nine and seven in Pac-12 play. That's not great, but given where they were at on Christmas day, you know, having just lost at home to Maryland and Cal state Northridge, 
not a bad outcome, all things considered. And, you know, like a one point home loss to Utah doesn't offend anybody. Losing at home to USC really does suck, especially to this edition of USC. But you can at least point to USC, you know, shooting the lights out from three while you had a really bad game. So that's just something that happens. I, I do think going forward, though, Mick is going to have to adjust his portal strategy a little bit. He made a comment midseason. It, I kind of got lost in the sea of a lot of his other comments. <laughs> when mm. He was he was kind of doing the Patino thing before Patino really got in his groove this year with the media of saying, you know, UCLA is, I don't know if he said like UCLA isn't giving him, if it's the boosters, whatever it is, not giving him enough money to chase qualified people in the portal. Now, we've kind of seen that same thing happen to an extent with Michigan where their admissions has shut down a couple of guys who could come, but they, and the money isn't great either. UCLA admission doesn't seem like a problem. I think you have to adjust your strategy. Like you look at this roster and it's hard to say, you know, I understand you wanted to turn it over to a youth movement, but would it have been so hard to add like a whack guard or something? Mm. Or like if San Francisco had a player you liked, why not offer him a couple hundred K? It's not as if UCLA as a university is short on cash. It's UCLA. So I think a little adjustment of the portal strategy, some older guys next year. And, you know, these guys growing into their roles this year is going to be good for them coming soon. I think with all that considered, I can't be out on him just yet, but this year has been alarming. I also, I mean, when you, when I throw out the whole, be careful what you wish for like, is this an attractive job? Like did Mick Cronin kind of save UCLA in a way where he gets them back to respectability and you kind of know yeah, you're kind of worried about the, the long term. It's like, this is the final four coach. Like, this is someone who, you know, the best version of a Mick Cronin team is a team that could actually win the title in any given season, right? Yeah, well, and not just that. It's you think about how many candidates came before him before mm-hmm. they actually hired Mick. Like, we remember the Rick Barnes thing, but they took a hard chase at Bill Self, for example. Like, they really shot for the moon in that coaching search. Like, Lon Kruger, when he was at Oklahoma, was a big candidate for that. So it wasn't the guy they initially wanted by any stretch, but it ended up being the best possible hire they could have had at the time. Like, I think we both really love Rick Barnes. I don't know that Rick Barnes would thrive in Los Angeles. You know, not really a great culture fit. Then again, you wouldn't have guessed Mick Cronin would have either. Yeah. So I, I think it is, you know, they've got a good guy. You need to hold on to a good guy as long as you can have him. I do, like I mentioned, I do wonder how coaching carousel season is going to go given that he was a very highly rumored candidate for a while for the you know soon-to-be-open Louisville job. And given that Ohio State is open as well, and they're going to be in a the same conference this next season. But if UCLA is smart, I think they're going to try and hold on to him, give him what he needs. And you know if they, if they build it right, they're going to have a top 25 team next year, I think, with all this youth coming back. I love it. Uh, bubble bump this week, Will Warren. Which school is less on the bubble this week or more? on the bubble based on what their results were. It's got to be Nevada for the positive or hmm. please clarify for me. Cause I always get this wrong despite, you know, wasting a lot of money on English degree. Is it Nevada or Nevada? I've always said Nevada. Okay. Um, Morrison crying on Twitter is going to murder me cause he lives in Reno and goes to all the Nevada games, but whatever it is, um, it has to be them, right? So yeah. you go out, you on the road, you, you know, seven and one in your last eight, you beat Utah State on the road, San Diego State at home, New Mexico was a loss. But aside from that, you've been pretty flawless for the last month and capping it with that beautiful half-court buzzer beater by Jared Lucas uh, to beat Colorado State. 
These guys look really good, very well rounded on both ends of the court. Top 45 offense, top 45 defense. I think they're going to be a problem for a very specific type of team. Hmm. They get to the foul line a lot. They don't shoot many threes, though they are fairly efficient at them. They get downhill often. They've got guards and wings who are, you know, hellbent on getting fouled or getting to the bucket. It starts, you know, kind of with having everybody in your starting lineup between 6'4 and 6'9. That definitely helps. But I, I like the way they match up. I'm curious to see who they draw, given that it seems like they're trending towards being a 10 seed or maybe a 9. But if they get through and you get a 1 seed that's a little foul happy, or even in that first round game, if you get a 7 seed who's a little foul happy, they could really be in business. I like those guys. Is Steve Alford good? Was he just miscast? So, is he just like a good G5 coach and this is where his bread and butter is? Or do you think he is ultimately... I had this discussion with our boy Trilly Donovan today, actually, because mm-hmm. we were talking about Steve Alford in the context of like, you know, Indiana stay or go with Mike mm-hmm. Woodson. And I was, we both agreed like Steve Alford is just good, which is mm-hmm. okay. Like he's not a great coach, but he's just good. And being just good is definitely good to, enough to win in the Mountain West. Like you still have to be like pretty good to do it. But he's gotten them back to competency. And I don't know. I, it's like, I don't think I would trust him to run UCLA again, of course. I wouldn't trust him to run USC. Nevada might just be the perfect job for him and somebody of his caliber. I like it. Um, switching gears here a little bit, Will Warren. BYU. Uh, you've been on BYU all year long. You've been a big Pope disciple. Um, disciple of the Pope is what many have called Will Warren uh, all season mm-hmm. long. That's what the Mormons call it, too. Is it? No. Um, I'm assuming not. Please don't be offended. Yes, I, I don't know anything. Uh, Parody, on that. satire, go on. There you go. Um, BYU, though, they beat Kansas on the road at KU. Big win for the Cougs. What is scary about BYU right now? Is it just that they're elite three-point shooting and it's just they can beat anybody on any given day? Or is there more to what uh, Pope has installed here at BYU? It is predominantly the three-point shooting, especially given what's about to happen in March, where it's all one-game sample sizes. Mm-hmm. So BYU, number four in America in three-point attempt rate. The three teams ahead of them are all unlikely to make the tournament. Who are so the three ahead of them right now? It is UTC is one. So we have this stat on... Oh, was, here it is. North Florida. I was wrong. So it's North Florida, Chattanooga, and Princeton. Princeton might make the tournament. Hmm. But still, you're that means you're, you know, number one by a decent distance among high major schools in three point attempt rate. What is North Florida shooting like they're uh, that's 56% important. of their shots are from three. Wow. Yeah, they yeah, yeah they're different. Um, they the Dolphins I want to say UNF is like the they Dolphins. are the Ospreys. Ospreys. Yeah. Jacksonville's the Dolphins. Yes. Jacksonville's the Dolphins. Thank God. Uh, shout out to Florida. It is a mm-hmm. place. Um. No, I, I love the way they play because they really only have the one guy, Triori, who doesn't shoot threes. Everybody else who touches that court can light you up from downtown. Mm-hmm. And when you're in certain matchups, that's really scary. Like, I honestly think of them as a pretty frightening matchup for Tennessee if it were to come to that. I would not want to play a team that is comfortable taking a lot of contested jumpers the whole game. And the thing with BYU all year was they're really good at Marriott and they've held up pretty strong in most home games. But when they've won on the road, they've really struggled to find their shooting stroke. So coming into this game, they were sitting at 29% from three on the road this year. Opponents were shooting 37. And some of that is obviously just like 
you know, road environments or you're not as comfortable in those as you are at home. And some of that was just bad luck, I think we can say. Like, it just happens, you know, small enough sample sizes, you're not going to get lucky enough times. But what it did to me, it it actually outlined the exact way they can pull an upset in the NCAA tournament. Because listen to the shooting split. BYU, 13 for 34 from three. Kansas, three for 15. That's a 30-point edge from three before you even consider what else happened in the rest of the mm. game. That alone... That gives you a chance in any game you go into, no matter like, because I don't really love BYU's defense. They're just not very strong. Um, I I also don't love how reliant they are on the three. They really struggle to create consistent scoring inside. Uh, very low free throw rate. They do. They get a lot of offensive rebounds because of all the three point attempts caroming off, you know, every which direction. But it, it's not a super reliable strategy. And if you run into a team that protects the boards well. You know, you're not going to generate enough second chances to keep pace. But like I said, that that's how you get there is you take all these threes. And when they go in, like, you know, 14 for 36, you beat Baylor at home. 13 for 34, you beat Kansas on the road. But three days prior, they lost at Kansas State. And that's what makes them, like, scary for others and to themselves, I would say, for March, where they could get hot make the Elite Eight, and it really wouldn't be surprising. They could also lose to a 12 seed by double digits, and that wouldn't be surprising either. When you look at it, if you had to forecast the most realistic BYU tournament spot, and then how deep they can go, what's the most realistic for them? Five seed feels about right, and I think that they're going to win one game. And I know that's a boring guess for anybody who's a five seed, but they they are actually fairly well built to take care of weaker opponents. Like you look at their losses, and none of them are terribly offensive. Like yeah, losing to Oklahoma State's really bad, but aside from that, it's like you know Utah, Cincinnati, Baylor, Texas Tech, Houston. No one's upset when you lose to those schools. Those are fine losses. So I, I do feel like they've got a high enough floor, and it really does help that they protect the boards well. They're seventeenth in defensive rebounding. And, you know, for all of their problems inside the perimeter, they do a great job of running shooters off the line. My thing is, like, they're going to go into every single game in the tournament, both upset prone and upset, like, both for themselves and for others, like I said. Because in an average game, they're going to shoot 13 or 14 more threes than the opponent. Now, could that be against a 12 seed? You hit five more threes and you win by 20? Sure. Could that be a game against the four seed? where you don't hit any of them and you lose by 20. Yeah. So I, they're, they're a really hard team to project. I, it's the, it's the exact thing of like, I feel like if you're a one seed, you don't want them. And if you're a 12 seed, you're probably okay with it. I'm really curious about what BYU does. They're fun. And I think they're going to be in a uh, tournament darling. I think people that's, are going to like That's the thing is like, I, I want them to do well in March mm. because they're really enjoyable to watch. I have a blast every time I turn a BYU game on. It's become a running bit uh, in my watch list that like every single BYU game gets mentioned, at least at some point, just because they are a league pass television. What was the furthest that a Jimmer team went? Sweet BYU. 16. They lost to that. Uh, they lost to Florida, who then lost to Butler, I think. Okay. Um, speaking of the NCAA tournament here, a team that really has just been not on the radar really at all this year, but they're holding their own in the middle of the Big East. It's the Seton Hall Pirates. Are they a tournament team right now, Will Warren? My fear with them is it's going to come all the way down to the wire. 
Hmm. So, I, and the thing is, so metrics wise, I don't really like them. Um, and it's not me being a hater. It's just like these guys take a lot of blowout losses. Like, you know, just last night and the night before we recording this, they lost by 21 on the road to Creighton. Hmm. In a vacuum, not a bad result. But when you pile it on with all the other blowouts, like lost by 26 at Villanova, lost by 18 at Marquette, lost by 20 at Xavier, lost by 18 at Baylor. When these guys lose, they lose bad. And couple that with some closer wins than expected, like they had to really scrap and claw to beat Georgetown at home. Did sneak in a win on the road over Butler and did beat Butler at home to complete the sweep. But they they struggled to really impress over a full 40 minutes. Part of that's because they have a really small bench. But that being said, it's hard to argue with the resume itself, which I think is going to be the key point with them. So let's pull up the old team sheet ranks right now. Seton Hall, five quad one wins. Eight and eight record against quad one and two, 38th in strength of record. Now, they're going to get held back. They've got a a 69 BPI and a a 56th in the Ken Palm. But again, eight wins. There's only 23 teams in America that have more than that right now. That against quad one and two. That's going to be hard to top. The problem is if people can deal with the quad three losses they took. So we're we're going to see on that front. I would lean to them getting in, but I would not like place a. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Bet on it. They feel very first four to me. What would happen? What would... If you're a Seton Hall fan, what what do you feel like you need to do in the last few games here and in, in the Big East tournament to feel really comfortable going into <laughs> this election Sunday? Yeah, <laughs> it's as simple as keep winning. But so we're going to say Sunday they play at UConn. Let's assume that's a loss. Mm. You know, you don't want to assume, but probably 90% chance it is. You close out your season at home against DePaul. We're going to assume that's a win. In between, you got a home game against Villanova. On March 6th, that is a must win mm. if you want to stay uh, on the good side of the field. Uh, you cannot lose that game, as far as I'm concerned, and make the tournament without going really deep in the Big East uh, Conference tourney. Mid-major team to watch right now for you, Will Warren. Who, who's the mid-major to watch right now? It, it's still going to be Indiana State for me, uh, mm. even though the couple of rough losses as of late because I was doing some exploring for this for um, for March purposes. Were you aware that Indiana State is still top 30 in net? No. Uh, top 30 in net. Hmm. Top 40 in KPI. Top 40 in strength of record. They've got a good resume, man. That's all I'm saying. And, you know, 25 and 5, the three losses in conference play, 
you know, only one of them is truly bad. Like losing to Illinois State is a stinker. Everybody knows that. But aside from that, your your other four losses are either Q1 or Q2, with three of them being Q1. They don't really have the great win that you need. Like their best win is on the road at Bradley. But they feel a lot like... Do you remember when Belmont made it as an at-large in the first four? Yes. This feels a lot like Belmont to me, where, hmm. okay, maybe the resume isn't that great, but the metrics are awesome. And because this is 2024 and not 2014, there's a better chance this style of team gets in because they have won so many games and have that good wins above bubble metric uh, versus like if this was 2014 and you had the same record and you're still trying to scrap and claw to get in. Like 2014, Indiana State, probably an NIT two seed. 2024, I still think they got a good shot to make it as an at-large. Are they... So what steed do you think that they're ultimately in and what makes them the most dangerous? And how would you explain why they're still a top 40 team in net? Well, they they blow out a lot of opponents, which helps. I think we've seen the whole buzz right now around the whole Big 12 rigging the net thing is kind of driving people to reevaluate margin of victory. But so what does that mean? So for the folks who are not aware of what's going on there, what's going so on? There, because the, so the Big 12 ranked 32nd out of 32 conferences and non-conference strength of schedule. Mm -hmm. and you see like the results of Iowa State beating teams by 40 or 50 or TCU piling on a really bad non-conference slate. People have taken that as to why there's 10 Big 12 teams in the Mm -hmm. uh, top 50 of the net right now. Not totally how it works, but, uh, you know, valid enough complaint. I can hear you. But with Indiana State, it's different where they're demolishing teams in conference play the way Gonzaga used to. I mean, like last three games, 83-64, 88-73, 85-67. That is called taking care of business. And not just that, swept the third best team in the league and Bradley won on home and on the road, beat Drake at home and lost a close one on the road. They've really handled their business against just about everybody outside of that Illinois State game because losing on the road at Southern Illinois is just a quad two loss. A lot of teams have at least one quad two loss. So... Their numbers are going to be better than people think for Selection Sunday. Now, the way to avoid this is obviously just to win the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament, which they're going to be favored to do. But like right now, if you go to the wins above bubble metric, which just measures how many wins do you have versus your schedule compared to what an average bubble team would be expected, Mm -hmm. they rank 28th nationally in this stat, Hmm. right next to Nevada and Nebraska. BYU right ahead of them too. I mean, they've done a really good job no matter what you think of their strength of schedule. And if they get in, it's not a team you want to play because they really are math ball to the extreme. Number one in effective field goal percentage, number one in two point percentage. They take half of their shots from three. They take only 8% of their shots from mid range. They maximize every single possession. All, all of that going without talking about, you know, our goggles superstar, Robbie Avila. I mean, I was going to say, I was waiting for when you're bringing up uh, just the modern Horace Grant over here with Robbie Avila. Uh, Prima Abdul Jabbar really did get me when I saw somebody post that. There, there's another one that I'm forgetting too. I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. But Cream Abdul Jabbar got me. So, what makes him good though? Is Robbie actually good? What makes, because I mean, you'll see some like 26, 10, and 5 numbers from him, and you're like, oh, 
okay. And then you watch him, you're like, I don't understand actually how this man's doing it. Because you see the Jokic hilarious comparisons here. And yeah. obviously not. Nikola, well, the, the, but... the college version of this was just Cameron Kretlick at Loyola mm. Chicago. And because that happened kind of during COVID, people, it's lost in people's brains. But yeah, that's kind of the guy who I think of for at least an impact guy. Not the exact same type of play because he's going to shoot outside a lot more than Kretlick did. But like best passer on the team, best rebounder, very good shooter. He's 40% from three this year, by the way. Terrific inside, great at drawing fouls. He really is an all-around superstar. And will we see a more athletic team potentially take him out of the game? It's, it's plausible. Like It wouldn't shock me if that happened. But like he's held up pretty well when they've played better competition this year. And it, it, you have to put an asterisk even beside them playing at Alabama to start the season. He didn't play in that game. And they still hung tight for about 30 minutes. If he plays in that game, how much different does that one look? Is he does he get a Kofi uh, lockdown opportunity here this year? Who's like the funniest Ooh. matchup for him that he just embarrasses? Oh, you would love for it to be Edie, but it won't be. Edie. Mm, no. Um, realistically. Uh, oh. Kansas. Oh, Hunter. Dickinson. Can you imagine? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> locking down Hunter Dickinson. We need this. I need this bad. I didn't know this could happen until right now. And I need this. I look, see, that's what this podcast is for. Is we're just. We're, I, I we're, don't know what the runner-up would be. Hunter. Like, I don't hate. I don't hate Ryan Kalk runner up in Creighton. I don't think that would be like funny. No. Really, that it wouldn't be. And there's no like Euros Plavsic on Tennessee to make that funny either. So no. It's got to be Hunter. It has to be. Baycott maybe. But Baycott doesn't like preen and get upset in front of the Rams the whole game. Oscar Shebae would have been a good one, but Oscar, Oscar Shebae would have been a really good one. Um, a real, a real throwback. Travion Williams, I think he would have driven insane mm. at Purdue. <laughs> um, no, God, we really need that now. Shebae would have been good. Hunter, this could be a whole post right here. Will like this could all be, the like the like, guys we most need him to play. Yes. Oh, can you imagine him against Chet in twenty twenty two? That would have been so good. If it. if it if if he had sent them out of the tournament instead of Arkansas, I could have dealt with it. It's funny. Um, now the fit the, the biggest part of the hour here, Will Warren, the Dalton Connect hour here on the program, as he what had twenty seven or twenty nine of his uh, points in the second half uh, last night against Auburn. Twenty seven, I think. Yeah, which is the still man insane. went off <laughs> and lost in the shuffle. Zakai had an unbelievable second half too. Like he was mm. really, really bad in the first quarter, but because he plays 36 minutes a night, he has time to, uh, you know, get back on track. And I would never count out Zakai Ziegler for 40 minutes uh, of action. And he figured it out. And I think that was another underrated part of Tennessee's turnaround in the second half. But I mean, what can we say about what we saw from uh, Dalton connect last night in uh, the Vols huge win uh, against Auburn amongst their, uh, just brutal four game stretch here to wrap up the uh, regular season. Well, first off, uh, well, one, you had to have this, had to <clears> have <throat> it for SEC title purposes, had to have it for staying in the one seed hunt, had to have it really just for pride because Tennessee spent a lot of the last, you know, six, seven years, not quite, not quite getting embarrassed, but constantly losing winnable games to Bruce Pearl. Mm-hmm. And he really needed this one to get back 
Um, second, huge shout out to my little brother. Uh, not a sports guy. Uh, we've talked about this, but he went to the game yesterday, his first game of the season. Uh, he texted me uh, midway through the first half and said, the only player I recognize is Vescovy. And I said, the long white na- that wears number three is the good one. Mm-hmm. And then he texted me back uh, midway through the second half and just said, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, welcome to the Connect show. Um, mm-hmm. There's no real words to encompass that performance because how many times ever definitely not as a Tennessee fan, but just like really in college basketball, do you see a player on a team like ask for a switch onto the opponent's best defender? Like still, I would argue front runner for SEC defensive player of the year, Janai Brun, and like just whoop him over and over and over and over. You never see that. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's a, I'm at a loss for words. It was, the most unbelievable performance I have ever seen from any Tennessee player. And I'm counting the Grant Williams 43 point game. I'm counting the Chris Lofton games. I saw growing up. I'm not old enough to remember Allen Houston, but I would take what I saw last night against any of those Allen Houston games. It was that good. It was also like I said in the family group chat of like, these are just all NBA shots. Like mm-hmm. we just don't see that very often is just a guy hit NBA shot after NBA shot after NBA shot. And it's kind of jarring to see it at the college game. Cause you know, you might see one or two from a guy in mm-hmm. the course of a game. You never see this many in one game where it's just like, Oh, this is an NBA moment where it's almost like a LeBron taking over and just like, Nope, this is mine. I'm going to do this. I'm going to like, I, I want the best defender on me to hit this. I'm going to like, you can't stop me when I get to the rim this way. Like I'm also like, like the mid range stuff, like the one that you cited um, that he hit um, at the elbow. That was a Kevin Durant shot. Like that was yeah. something that only Kevin Durant can pull off and coaches are okay with. Well, and that's the the thing is like when a guy gets hot and it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. he went eight for 10 from three. Like that's notable. That's cool to watch. But last night was different in a way of it being everywhere. It wasn't yeah. just, you know, a post guy being dominant like ED. It wasn't just, you know, Steph Curry getting really hot for Davidson. It was like anywhere from zero to 30 feet was logical and made sense. Like every time he pulled up and took a shot, I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, even the ones where it's like he's having to adjust to shoot almost at full extension of the arm straight up in the air to get over the defender. And that was the the thing kind of both sides last night. And it was marred for about 10 minutes by truly horrific officiating on both sides. But um, well, you tweeted about that. And something that annoyed me, too, about the officiating was just that, like, and I think you made a really astute point of just. If you're going to call a game a certain way, like it's the only positive thing you can really say about a Pat Adams called game is that you know exactly what you're getting. If you're still surprised by how a Pat Adams game is called, then like, I don't know what to tell you at this point. You just strap in, buddy. You're going to be here for four <laughs> hours. Um, Like this is how this is going to go. But last night it was just you didn't really know what was going to get called. What was going to like? It just was sometimes you'd be no taking tack. No, no control whatsoever over the flow of the game. And mm-hmm. Which is a shame because it really did mar what was otherwise a borderline flawless performance by both teams. I mean, yeah. I understand, like, yes, they had warts and they took bad shots and whatever. Uh, I don't care. Uh, I mean, like, start to finish, that was as compelling of a regular season game as I've seen all season. Yeah. That was high-level offense both ways. Like, 
we we talk a lot about connect, but I mean, Broom had a fantastic game in his own right. He was terrific offensively. Chad Baker no Mazzara continues. Yeah, he yeah he somehow didn't pick up a foul, but mm-hmm. Baker Mazzara continues to really impress me. And for all the crap I've given him, I thought Katie Johnson was fine. He was ignorable. Um, but but and you go back and watch those connect makes. I did not think Auburn played poor defense on many of them. Mm-hmm. It was just a guy. He woke up and decided I'm going to win this game. And that was that. And that's wonderful because Tennessee, as long as I've been alive, has never had that player. The only guy that came, the only guys I would say that came close were Grant Williams and Chris Lofton, but they did not have the athleticism, the height or the level of range zero to 30 feet that this guy has. And to think that he was second team all big sky. Like, it's just, this never happens. No, I don't think it might never happen again. I think that's also very like just you can only say it so many times, but please appreciate what Dalton Connect is doing this year because you're not going to see a a performance like this again, probably for a long time. These guys just don't. I mean, and the story itself, just because no one's like you were hoping he'd be good, but no one saw like he's now in the in the lottery. He's going somewhere in the top 10. And that's just it's crazy. We were I mean, we were hoping he would just be okay. Yeah, that he would translate to SEC, you know, Physicality. I wasn't sure he should start right away over Mayshack. Yeah, that's what that's what makes it insane. Is mm-hmm. we're all like, you know, we we hope he's good. We don't really know. And I mean, it's just and this Tennessee team, we say it so many times, but it's still true. They just can beat you in so many different ways. Like this Tennessee team, it can be Dalton Connect going nuclear again. It can be Zakai Zakai playing a flawless game, leading the show. It can be Jonas Adu just completely dominating on the boards, and he was great early on, especially mm-hmm. in this game. It can be Santi and Triple J both having good games at the same time. There's just a Jordan Ganey getting hot and blowing you out like in Arkansas. Like There's just so many different ways this Tennessee team wins basketball games this year that we haven't seen mm-hmm. a complete team like this in, I, I think, ever in the Rick Barnes era. No, this is the best team he's had, I think we can say. Um, let's end here. Well, Warren, what's your stat of the week, sir? Uh, I have one for you that is actually connect centric. Mm. I'm going to tell you the top three players in the nation in terms of points per game and conference play. Okay. All right. Two of the three are Dalton connect and Zach Eady, but neither is number one in America. Who is number one? Hold on. Say that one more time. There. So top three in points per game and conference play only. Uh-huh. Two of the three, and their number two and number three in this order, are Connect and Edie. Who is number one? Number one. Hmm. And it's by point one points for the record. It's not Newton. Um, it, it's not anybody at a power or a big sex school. Oh, I'm not going to get this. It is Tommy Bruner at Denver, who's averaging okay. 25.4 points per game. Highest usage in America right now. He takes 37% of his team shots, but he is the only player standing between Dalton connect and being the number one score in America. Not just like the sec, not just, you know, or the region in America in conference play is Tommy Bruner. So if you haven't seen a Denver game yet, and Lord knows you probably haven't uh, worth checking out. I would like for them to make the NCAA tournament. They're the pioneers. The pioneers. I don't believe they've ever made the dance as far as I can remember. 
Are they good? Is this a Detroit Mercy situation or no? Uh, they are not good. It is a very, it is very much a Detroit Mercy situation. They're not even at 500 in the Summit League. But this one guy is going bonkers. Hey, you know, we love to see it. We love to see it. Well, Warren, what can the good folks check out from you over at uh, statsbywill.substack.com this week? Thrilling news at the Substack this week. Uh, starting when this goes up, because this will go up March 1st or March 2nd, one of those days. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, days go by in a blur as a, as some song from the two thousands about that, but, um, the Substack is going to be 40% off for a full year for the entire month of March. So when it's normally $30, it'll be $18. Mm-hmm. So you can pay for March for $18. I may do like a separate data package. That's like 10 bucks, but for the the purpose of this is 40% off for the entire month of March. Go sign up. Go get your numbers. Go um, finish third out of your five-person bracket pool like I usually do. So, uh, Or just join uh, my crew of not making brackets anymore and having fun. There you go. I love it. Um, go subscribe. Statsbywill.substack.com. Subscribe today if you have not already. What are you doing if you have not already? Statsbywill.substack.com. Bookmark it. Subscribe if you have not already done so. Will Warren, always a pleasure. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you that you're interviewing, mm-hmm. your um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.